Happy New Year. As we start the new year, we'd love to welcome you back to How to College for First Gens, our podcast where we get together over some coffee to have real conversations about what it's like to be a first-generation college student before, during, and after college. If you are a new listener, our goal as first-gen students is to share knowledge that we've gained along the way, learn a bit more about the experience from other first gens, and hopefully help others going through some of the same challenges we've experienced by sharing lessons learned from fellow first gens. I'm Cody Daly, one of the show's co-hosts, a first-generation student from Chicago, Illinois, whose job as a post-secondary counselor is to help and inspire the next generation of first gens. Today's episode is about the rural first gen experience. Some first gens grow up, live in, and attend school in small rural populated areas. Rural students and schools face many challenges from lack of resources and capacity to lack of staff and support. And also many rural first gens don't have several different colleges in their own backyard. Today, you'll hear from three first gens who grew up in small communities in rural areas all across the country who have ties to the University of Chicago. The University of Chicago has created multiple initiatives to help and assist and support rural first-generation college students. This includes the work they've done through the UChicago Empower Initiative, as well as their Emerging Rural Leaders Program. Without further ado, let's meet our first guest. We begin today's episode on the rural first-gen experience with a current high school student, Juan. Hi, Juan. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on our podcast here today. We greatly appreciate you being here to share your experiences with our audience on the rural first-gen experience. But Juan, before we get to that topic, I would love to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Hi guys, as you guys know, my name is Juan. Pronouns are he, him, his. I go to a high school named Wood River High School in Haley, Idaho. And aspiring towards the future, I plan on majoring in biochemistry and political sciences, as well as minoring in Latin American study. That's awesome. And Juan, you have mentioned, but you are a first-generation college student. That's something that you identify as. Just curious, do you know, when did you figure out that you were a first-gen college student? And how did that identity make you feel? It was just recently when I found out I was just a first-gen student. It's been such a gray area, and it hasn't really been a center of focus at school for me. But when I found out I was first-gen, I felt immensely like prideful. I felt so excited that I was going to be the first one at home to go to school, since my mom had done some school where she came back in uh, Mexico. But I felt very excited, very proud, but at the same time, I felt like this huge weight had been put on my shoulders now that I'm first gen. I'm the example in my family. I'm the example for my younger siblings and an example for my community. It's just a lot of pressure, but I'm also very excited. Totally. Oftentimes that pressure and pride kind of go hand in hand with the first generation experience. So I would completely relate with that. Well, as I mentioned before, today we're here to talk about the rural first gen experience. And to get us started, would you mind in your own words, kind of describing your hometown and the school system that you're currently going through? I live in a little ski resort town. We all call it here Sun Valley. I'm from the center town called Haley. It's composed of Bellevue, Idaho, Haley, Idaho, and Ketchum, Idaho. And it's such an amazing place. Here, it's a lot of focused on nature and all that kind of stuff. So most of the jobs that people go into are typically landscaping or ecosystem related. Super cool. Here, we're also very green. We're green oriented. So we have a lot of public transportation. We have biking. The community likes to take care of each other. I work at a daycare called The Hub. And here, it's just like a microcosm of the little community we have. Very diverse very awesome. Everyone's kind. Everyone's nice. And whereas the school system goes to, I go to a public school. There are about 
three other high schools in the area, two of which are kind of private, but public school has been super cool. The teachers are very supportive. I can name so many teachers, but honestly, I don't think I have the time to. They have been my rocks that I have grounded myself on, and they have just been so helpful in guiding me on my college career path and places where my family hasn't been able to help me. I'm so glad that you have felt so supported. I think that that means so much, especially to first-gen students, to feel that support academically. And honestly, it sounds like you live in a really awesome, cool community there in Idaho. Let's talk about the idea of preparing for your future, because that's a big part of senior year, which you just started, and soon you will be heading off to college next year. And I'm curious, in terms of planning for your future, so, you know, leading up to those discussions, can you recount any specific moments of support or specific resources or activities that were provided to you and your family on how to prepare for college? So sophomore year, I had a teacher, her name is Miss Sewell. I felt like she was just overwhelming and overbearing. She was like, you know what, guys, like you need to try as hard as possible. Every year matters. You want to succeed. You want to have a good record to show these colleges and impress them. And I thought she was the craziest lady in this world. I was like, you know what, like, I'm not going to listen to her. And now I absolutely adore her. She has been one of my biggest supporters. She has always been there. Just today, I even went to her room and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a podcast. I can't believe it. It's all about first gen stuff. She congratulated me and I was so happy. She's always been willing to read my college essays, help me out with apps. And not just that, but I'm part of a program called Lewis Scholars. And they've organized a small little event with a bunch of college counselors to help us get essays done, proofread essays, pick schools, research school and the amount of support I've gotten has been fantastic and I think it's given my parents just kind of room to breathe since I am going to be their first kid leaving the nest soon. That's great. And can you explain for those that aren't aware, I believe you mentioned the Lewis Scholars. Can you kind of mention what that program's all about? So Lewis Scholars is kind of a branch of the I Have a Dream Foundation of here in Idaho. And they handpick certain students from the high school that were doing academically well and were on track for college. And as long as I meet the program requirements, I will be one receiving aid from them, such as like counselor aid, academic aid. And on top of that, they're going to be giving me a scholarship for whichever school I get into or want to go. That is amazing. That is so great that programs like that exist. And we talk about opening the doors for underrepresented populations, marginalized populations, many, you know, obviously first gen. So it's so great that there are programs like that that can provide so much access for those students. Talking about the concept of college, you know, a lot of times the concept of college is something that first gen students have to work through, you know, especially some of our first gen immigrant youth education systems are so different in other countries. Do you remember when your family first started to talk about the concept of college? What did you think their expectations were for you when it came to college? Honestly, I love that question. And I think about it almost on a daily now. I vividly remember it. It was sixth grade year. It was the day before sixth grade started for me. So that's middle school. And my parents sat me down and they were like, well, colleges are going to be watching you like a hawk. So I was kind of terrified. I'm like a little sixth grader, 11, 12. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have so much pressure on me. And my parents were just telling me, look, colleges are going to be watching you. They're going to be looking after you. You need to impress them and you need to succeed in school. That means we require only A's. We need you to try your hardest and we want you to push yourself. Yes, we're going to be here for you, but we really want you to push yourself and make us proud and be a good example for your siblings. And as it's progressed down the road, those expectations have eased down on me a lot. I was able to talk with them and communicate with them and tell them, look, college isn't just about me being good academically, but it's also me being interested in certain hobbies and being good at those hobbies and showing them that I can be involved in my community and give back to my community. And it's not just the academics. Yes, the academics play a huge part about it, but it's not everything. And because of that, they've eased up a lot on me and I feel a lot better. Whereas 
I'm not so stressed with school anymore and I can still have time to have fun, whether that be in a club or community service or just a community event in general. It's just a lot better. Yeah, Juan, we've done an episode on family pressure. And I think that that is something that is so consistent with first gens. And I think a lot of that is around the fact that first generation students, we already feel behind. We already feel like we are almost navigating uncharted territory. So we feel like we have to be so much more exceptional when it comes to academics. And academics also leads to money. (laughs) So, you know, for first gen low income students, you know, getting good grades also can turn into dollar signs. So that's so interesting. And I'm glad that your family came to a place of understanding the full gamut of what college is, because college is so much more than just academics. I talk to my students, I'm a counselor all the time. And I say, you know, colleges want leaders, they want people that are going to give back to their campus community in so many ways. They don't want students who are just going to study, study, study and do really well. They want people who also take chances and get involved and give back to the community and go on study abroad trips and fully immerse themselves. So that's really cool that you've been able to kind of come to terms with that with your family. Yeah. And when it comes to looking for schools, I mean, oftentimes in rural communities, part of that exploration process in learning more about colleges includes getting to know the colleges, going to events and college fairs and things of that nature. Does your high school or your local community offer many like college fairs or college representative visits? How would you gauge them in that way? As a freshman and halfway through my sophomore year, we did have tons of college visits. We would have a lot of Idaho schools come and visit graduating seniors. But since COVID, a lot of the visits have gone down. But I have attended a lot of virtual meetings and a lot of virtual sessions. I remember my first session like in person that I had gone to was the University of Chicago. And they had been holding their session up at the community school in Ketchum. And I remember feeling so out of place because I had never seen such a top ginormous private school in a tiny little town because I was so used to seeing the University of Idaho, Boise State, College of Western Idaho, all these small state schools in my school. And I was like, you know what? That's what life is going to be. I'm going to go to one of these schools and that's where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And it was good to have those schools presented and shown to me. I'm aiming for something a lot bigger and QuestBridge, something that I am applying to a lot of schools through has given me so much information, a lot of schools. And what I personally think is that there should be tons of other giant private four-year schools should be focusing on rural towns because I feel like that's where a lot of bright undermined students are from. One of my friends was just accepted into Harvard last year. She's from the same town I'm from. That's given me such an inspiration to try even harder and be seen by a higher private school like Harvard. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that being from a rural community, do you think that that has impacted your ability to be exposed to the full range of schools out there? I mean, you mentioned that for a lot of the time, your exposure was to the local or to the state schools. Do you think that if you lived in like a suburban environment or a more urban area, that your exposure to college options may be different? 100% definitely. I believe that it would be completely different. Like I said, I wasn't exposed to these big top schools. I definitely heard of Yale, Stanford, Harvard, MIT, all these super cool schools. But I was like, you know what? It's where the super smart kids go and they're never going to see me because I'm from small little Idaho. None of my peers that I had known at the time, I didn't know that Harvard was a possibility. I didn't know that UCSC was a possibility. I didn't know that so many of these schools were a possibility because so many of my friends, neighbors, my family's friends. I didn't know that they had also gone into these schools because it's just not so talked about here. And that's what kind of creates that barrier. Because if you're not talking about these accomplishments, if you're not talking about these rural kids that are making it into these super cool top schools, rural kids like me are going to believe that they can't make it into these schools and they're going to aim much lower and they're not going to receive the education and the rigor and the challenges that they want from these schools. 
Yes, yes, yes. Totally agree. And, you know, there's been a lot of studies and research done about first-gen students and low-income students and the term undermatching. You know, a lot of first-gen students and low-income students will choose to consider institutions that tend to fall below their academic potential. And I think along with that is the rural students are totally right there as well, you know, because they are pretty much just seeing what's exposed to them and seeing what's around them as opposed to understanding their full options. I have worked college fairs where there are like 400 colleges in the stadium. That's more than a lot of rural students would ever see lifetime. And I know that because I grew up in a rural community. You mentioned your connection to UChicago. I know UChicago has really tried to ingrain and connect with and reach to communities and bring a lot of rural students to their amazing institution within an urban setting. Can you talk about your experience with UChicago and if you're familiar with the work that they've done for rural communities? Definitely. I remember sophomore year, my teacher was like, there's a super cool university. They're doing a kind of like meeting up at the community school. You should definitely go. So I didn't want to go by myself because community school is a private school and I was going to feel really, really out of place. So I just brought a bunch of my friends and I was like, you know what, you guys are tagging along because if I have to go, you have to go. And I'm going to say this right now, I do not regret going. Being able to be connected with such a top school in my eyes was really, really nice. They talked about the admissions process and what early decision is, what early action is, what regular decision is, all these questions that I haven't even like began asking myself as a sophomore. And then for a while, I was like, you know what, maybe like that school might be a little too expensive for me. And then this summer, out of nowhere, my college counselor emails me and she's like, you should look into this program. So I look into the program and it's UChicago's summer session for rural emerging leaders. And I signed up and I was like, I'm not going to get in. There's probably like a bunch of other students that are better qualified than me, have better academics. And to my surprise, I'm like parked at the gas station and I get an email from UChicago and they're like, well, congratulations, you're in. And I kid you not, I like almost started crying and I had to control myself because yeah, I was at a gas station, so I couldn't cry there. But I got home. I was super excited. I told my parents they were super excited for me. And their program was so, so awesome. Sadly, I was not able to go and visit campus then. But the program was so nice. I mean, classes are very small. So it's a lot of discussion based, which is what I like to do a lot. And they had just catered the program so it could be accessible to everyone no matter where you were in the United States. And the amount of diversity and new experiences that I was able to experience with these other students from around the country was so eye-opening because where I'm from, we have such a little African-American population. We have very little in Asian-Americans. It's just predominantly Latinx and white. So I was seeing ethnicities, races that I was never really exposed to here in Haley, Idaho. And just being able to, one, be at a, be taking a class that a super high top school was offering along with other students that were like me and also shared so many qualities with like being from a small town or, you know, this student rides horses. They don't, they do this, they do that. It was so many unique experiences and my eyes were just open to the so many possibilities of where I could go to, what do I look for in a school? And UChicago has been honestly my number one school ever since. That's great. I'm so glad those experiences can be so valuable for students. And you talked about so many amazing aspects of that experience and what you were exposed to. But I'm curious, as a first-gen, rural, prospective student, what is the biggest thing you think you took away from that experience? How did that experience change you? Or what was the biggest takeaway for you? For me, the biggest takeaway would probably have to have been that no matter where I am from, whether that be a big city, urban, suburban, or a small little rural town, I can make it into any of these colleges if I really am able to paint a picture of myself and put myself on a paper and show these schools in reality who I am. And I've like already said this before, but academics isn't all of it. I've been getting involved with my community so much more 
And it hasn't been just because I want to get into a super cool college, but it's because this admissions process has really opened my eyes to what certain schools look like. Yeah, I started trying to get more involved because it would look nice, but now it's turned into more of a, I like giving back or I like being involved in my community. I'm going to keep doing this. And it's just shown me that no matter who you are, where you come from, you can make it into any of these schools. If yes, you have the academics and if you have the involvement, but what's really important is that you're able to put all these challenges and all these achievements onto paper and really show these people, these admissions counselors, who you are, because I believe that's what's more important. Not your grades, not this, not that, but who you are as a person and what you can bring to the table. And I believe that UChicago really showed me that in the best possible way. Great. Well, let's talk more about some thoughts about your community and rural communities, generally speaking. What challenges do you think are present specifically for first gens who live in a rural area when it comes to college and career planning, would you say? The way I've always seen it, it's kind of like a cycle. If a parent doesn't go to school and they have children and they see that their parents and then their neighbors haven't gone to school, they don't go to school. And then they're going to have kids, they don't go to school. And it's just a constant cycle. And I've seen it a lot. It's a lot of generational issues that grandparents don't, don't go to school, parents don't go to school, students don't go to school, while, yes, they may be living the best life possible in their own way. And on top of that, it's just the lack of availability of schools in rural communities. They're just, there is no presence of them. And when there is, it's very, very rare. There's always state schools, community schools. There's College of Southern Idaho, College of Idaho, University of Idaho, Boise State. There's always these state schools that are willing and are giving the chance to these rural students and offer them a path to college. But it's not always an easy path and they're not always willing to put additional support for rural students. Boise State, for example, I don't believe they have a program or a way to reach more rural students because other than Haley, Idaho, there are hundreds of small little tiny towns in Idaho. And I can guarantee that most of those students haven't been offered the chance to go to college because they believe that they can't get there because they're stuck in this cycle of not going to college because their parents or their grandparents or their great-grandparents haven't gone to college. And the only reason the cycle exists is because schools aren't present in these towns. And on top of that, schools aren't really offering the resources or the academics or X, Y thing for these students to feel like they can go to school. For sure. With anything, you can't be what you can't see. And if you're not exposed to something, you're not even going to know it exists, let alone that you can do it or be it or feel it or do whatever with it. So I totally, totally agree with those sentiments. And that kind of leads me to my next question. What misconceptions do you think colleges might have about students in rural communities? I'm going to hit it again with the academic. I feel like there's just a lack of college preparedness academics in rural towns. I'm lucky to be in a community that does value that. But coming from a college's viewpoint, not seeing those classes that are rigorous, are challenging, kind of, I feel like gives colleges a feeling that, wow, maybe these students aren't prepared and we shouldn't be trying to reach for them or trying to help them get to our school because I believe a lot of schools focuses now are a lot about money. And sadly, these students do not have money. Um, a lot of students from rural towns are not wealthy enough to be able to pay for a four-year college, let alone a two-year community college. So it's just a lot of the misconception of where's the money and where's the academics and the rigor because I feel like those two things are what drives drive a lot of colleges and their decisions. And that's what's definitely needed to be changed. For sure. But on the flip side of that, what are some misconceptions you think rural students have about colleges? From some of the things that my classmates have said, trying to like as accurately quote them as possible, they're never going to look at me. Uh, my grades are trash. I'm not involved. And all those kinds of things just kind of set a negative social sphere, if that makes sense. 
and it just kind of starts spreading around school. Oh, these schools aren't going to look at me because this person is smarter than me. Or they're not going to look at me because this person can donate a building. Or I can't get in because simply I'm not good enough. And it's just a lot of students unknowingly putting themselves down. And then that kind of spreads. And it's just not the student not wanting to go, but it's them believing that they can't go. And then Juan, just to close, any final tips or advice you have for rural first-gen students who, like yourself, aspire to go to college? If you are given the chance to, and you choose to, definitely apply for any summer program you can, because you are guaranteed to meet so many new people, and it is an eye-opening experience. And personally, that experience for me has made me want to go to college even more, just to be surrounded by people that are diverse and can offer something completely new to the table that you've never seen in your life. It's amazing. And if you want to go to college, shoot high and you'll get in. You just have to be positive and not only treat yourself with respect, but be kind to yourself because this process is very hard, very stressful. But when you are graduating and you know you're getting to college, it's going to be such a blast and Honestly, just aim high. You're going to make it. Great advice to leave on. Well, thank you, Juan, for being here today and sharing your story and your experiences with our first-gen audience. We greatly appreciate your time. We continue today's conversation on the rural first-gen experience by speaking to a current college student, Tommy. Hi, Tommy. How are you? I'm doing great today. How about yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We're super excited to have you on our podcast. So, Tommy, as I just mentioned, today we're here to talk about the rural first-gen experience. But before we start talking about that topic, I'd love to have you introduce yourself to our audience. So my name is Tommy Ibarra. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a first-gen rural student from a small public high school who is currently a student at the University of Chicago. I'm double majoring in public policy and economics, and I was also my high school's first QuestBridge scholar. Wow, that is amazing. That's such history for your school. Do you remember the day that you found out? I'm sure your counselor was super excited. (laughs) Yeah, especially since it's such a crazy process to go through. I mean, QuestBridge is... I started with the prep program, so it's like two years in total almost, you know. So I remember my guidance counselor was probably the first person who I told after my family that I got in. And she was just amazingly excited, almost probably as excited as my parents, honestly. Yeah, that's so special. And Tommy, as you mentioned, you are a first-generation college student, and I love to always explore that identity. When did you figure out or know that you were a first-generation college student, and how did that label or identity make you feel? So I guess I was fairly young when I first knew I was a first-generation student. Growing up, my parents were always very honest to me about their education. My father actually dropped out after eighth grade. He's from Mexico. He had to support his family. So he wasn't able to pursue higher education in any form or even complete his high school. Uh, My mom, on the other hand, she actually did get accepted to a college, but she had to withdraw because of financial issues and also accessibility issues because she suffers from progressive hearing loss. So even before I knew the first gen label, that was a label that I really identified with after probably eighth grade. That's when I first started hearing that label used. I was always proud of the fact that I could be the first person in my family to go to college. It's always great when you can have open dialogue and conversations about your family's educational background. I think that's always something that's cool to explore. So as I mentioned, today we're here to talk about the rural first-gen experience. And first, I'd love to kind of get some background on your experience growing up as a student in a rural community. Would you mind to start maybe in your own words, can you briefly describe your hometown and the school system that you went through? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on a small farm, actually in between two small towns, probably 10 minutes either way to reach either town. And my high school was a very small public high school. 
graduating class was around 175. So I know there's smaller schools, but compared to the people I've met in college, it's a pretty small school. We we're in a fairly well-funded area because I grew up in an area that's mostly rural, but we have two lakes. So we had a lot of tourism in our area, and that would allow our school to be more well-funded than some other rural schools, but we still didn't have a lot of programs that a lot of urban schools have. For example, we had, I would say, at most half of the AP programs offered, and we had only had dual credit courses my last two years of high school. You mentioned the agriculture, the farm aspect of your upbringing. I'm curious, what sort of industries or jobs did people tend to go into in the area that you grew up? So first and foremost would actually be factory jobs. We have a lot of factories in my area. So after high school, a lot of people would get to work in a factory and they would stay there for about as long as they can. After that would be agriculture. We have a lot of people who are fifth, sixth generation farmers. However, you know, way back farmers. So these people, they knew they were going to be farmers since about the time they were walking. So they were, had a very strong agricultural identity. And we had a lot of people who would go into the farm work in some capacity, whether it be actually working in the fields or being a mechanic. So mostly trade-based jobs were what people would do after high school. At most, I'd say a fourth of the people in my graduating class would move on to college. And growing up in a smaller area, a rural community, did you ever have any insights into, you already mentioned maybe academically not having all of the programs that other communities have, but did you pick up on any other barriers or challenges that people went through in your hometown? Things such as, you know, maybe transportation, healthcare access, things of that nature? I would say pretty much all the above. For the most part, I didn't grow up in a food desert. I know that can be a problem in a lot of small communities. We had a Walmart and a Kroger, so things like that were never an issue. It was never the top quality and you could never find everything you wanted. But for the most part, food was always there. But then going into transportation and healthcare, there was a lot of issues. Transportation, I didn't know how good public transportation was until I moved to Chicago for college. It wasn't even something I really thought about, but I have now realized how much of an issue it can be, especially for people who are elderly or people who are sick and need to get to the hospital or they need to go to appointments. That type of thing can be an issue in a rural area. And that kind of ties into healthcare as well. I was lucky enough to be in an area where we had a hospital that was built, but that hospital was only built maybe five years ago. And a lot of people still complain about the quality. And I know they're doing the best they can, but in a rural area, these hospitals aren't always the best funded, and a lot of times you're getting very young doctors who this is the first step on their career path, so they may not have the experience that a lot of other doctors have. Or on the other hand, you have very local like family clinics, but these people can't offer a lot of specialization outside of general practice. So both healthcare and transportation were always major issues. And I was always aware of this, especially healthcare, because my brother is actually a paraplegic. He is paralyzed from the waist down due to spina bifida. So healthcare could be a major issue growing up, just trying to get to and from appointments and that type of thing. And you already mentioned the academic piece. And I'm curious, with the lack of programs that your school offered. Um, I think you mentioned maybe roughly half of what would be offered at other communities. Did you feel like you were academically prepared for college? You know, obviously you were a Questbridge student, so obviously you were prepared, but did you feel like your school's course load made you prepared? I'll say there's a good distinction to be made between feeling prepared and actually being prepared. Feeling prepared, I can say I did not feel prepared but that may be because UChicago is known for being very academically rigorous, so I knew it was going to be a very hard school. But once I got on campus and I started taking classes, I found that I did much better than I expected. And I think that can be due to some of the teachers I had in high school. I was lucky to have some teachers who had been there for a long time. They were very skilled in the subject they had been teaching. I even had a teacher who had a PhD, which someone in a rural school finds that amazing. But then I know people who went to schools where every teacher had a PhD. But a lot of the times my teachers did a good job of preparing me and I didn't realize how prepared I was until I actually went to school. However, a lot of times there was a lot of turnover. For example, 
my humanities classes were mostly fine. But once I moved into the science and math classes, we had teachers who would turn over you know, a new science department, new math department pretty much every other year. So in that type of setting, it can be hard to feel prepared when you're getting teachers who this is their first year teaching every year. And at the same time, it also makes it a little intimidating to go to school or even apply because it's harder to ask for references in a setting like that. When it comes to planning for your future, who was really there to help you? at your school? Honestly, at first it felt like I was very prepared. Like I may have mentioned before, I did absolutely love my guidance counselor. She was also a theater director. We had a small theater program, so I talked to her almost every day. But when it came to applying to out-of-state colleges, that's where I really ran into issues. Because being a guidance counselor in a small rural setting, you're used to students going to three different schools, more or less. And my experience after graduating, people mostly divided themselves fairly equally among three different schools. In my case, Purdue University, Indiana University, and Ball State University. But when I came to applying to UChicago, I was more or less on my own. I found out about the QuestBridge program more or less out of luck and that was just due to me getting a letter in the mail and then I didn't even know that schools especially the selective ones could be more affordable than an in-state college until I randomly watched a YouTube video and they happened to mention it so I think a lot of times the issue is that these guidance counselors they are really good but they have to decide what they want to spend their time on and they have to decide if they want to become an expert on in-state colleges, or if they want to try and focus on out-of-state colleges. And a lot of times they decide that they only can do the in-state colleges. It's the only thing worthwhile to them. And that kind of puts students who are applying out-of-state at a disadvantage. Because in my case, I was the first person to go to a selective out-of-state college in a very long time. I was the first person to go to UChicago, and I believe a decade and a half. So you don't have anyone who's really experienced in going through that process, especially when selective schools stress the application so much and their each school has their specific application with their specific process in terms of your future in general and that like mindset when did you first start discussing that at home and what were some of those initial expectations yeah so i think my family always kind of assumed i was going to go to college and i did myself i always wanted to go to college i wanted to kind of escape the small town bubble and go out and get different perspectives and go to places that are much different from my hometown. But on that note, they always were very open with me. They told me, you can go wherever you want. They were very open about that aspect. They said, you can go to any school you want. However, we're not gonna be able there to financially support you. They said, at max, we might be able to give you a couple thousand dollars. So I always was expected to find some way to finance my own education. But on that note, I I think my parents at the same time did everything they could to support me in every other way. They would make sure that I could do, they they let it known that I could go as far away from home as I wanted or stay as close as home. My mom once drove me an hour and a half to take the ACT, which is a big issue in rural areas. Sometimes the ACT is only offered once a year, if that. So if you want to take it during the summer, you might have to drive an hour to the city or something. So My parents supported me every way but financially, and they made sure that I I could go anywhere I wanted comfortably, knowing that they'd support me going there, they just would not be able to monetarily support me going there. How did people in your community, how did your peers at school feel about the word college? Yeah, I feel like there was two big groups. One was people who were very intimidated by college, and these were the people who were either applying to college or they kind of talk themselves out of going to college. Because you look up the college you're interested in, and one of the first things that pops up is, this is the cost to attend. And you don't realize that the average person who's applying to college, especially at a selective school, is probably a lot different than you are, right? For example, average cost to attend, I believe a selective school like Harvard is somewhere in like the 20,000 mark, but a lot of people who are applying at Harvard is going to be of the top 10, 20% of the country versus a lot of people I grew up when were in the bottom 20% of the country from a financial standpoint. So you have people who are very intimidated because they don't think they can afford it or they think that for they don't want to leave 
and move to a totally different community than they're used to, and that's completely understandable. And then on the other hand, you also have people who felt they had they had kind of a stigma against those who went to college, and that's because somewhat justifiably they could say people go off to college, and then some of those people they feel like they're superior or whatever. They get they have a stigma because of that. They feel that people who go to college have a superiority complex against people who stay in the rural communities. And while that's sometimes true, I don't think as a whole, people who go to college think they're better than the people who stayed in their small town or stayed working for their families or stayed for whatever reason. So there would always be kind of a tension between those who wanted to go to college and then those who wanted to stay and work on the farm, for example. But it was interesting to see how that dynamic would play out, especially considering that it all kind of ended up in the same place where people just weren't going to college for one reason or another, even if they could have benefited from from it or even if they could have afforded it. Now, in terms of planning for your future, be it college, but even just career-wise, do you think that lack of resources impacts one's ability as a young child, middle school, high school, what have you, in being able to properly plan for their future and really know all of their options? Yes, definitely. You go to a school like mine where you have maybe half the available AP classes, or you go to a school like some people I know where they had no AP classes, maybe not even a dual credit class. And then this week starts almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where you realize, oh, I don't have the resources of the type of person I imagine going to a selective school. So when you think of a selective school, you're thinking of perfect student who is able to have and take all the higher end classes, able to have everything they could ever want to ensure that they were ready to apply to that selective school. And as you and I know, that's not really the case. A lot of people who end up at selective schools are kind of like me, where they didn't have all the resources. But if you're a student in a rural area and you see that you don't have a lot of classes that you can take that are advanced, or you don't have access to tutors, or you don't have access to regular test taking services, for example, maybe the SAT and ACT is only offered once in your community, then you're going to think, well, I can't even go to that school. You're going to think, oh, since I can't go to that school, then I'm not going to build myself up in the goal of going to that school. And it comes this self-fulfilling prophecy, like I said, where you just kind of end up either somewhere you don't want to be, or you kind of give up on the process and you don't go to college at all because you felt like you couldn't have gone to college even if you wanted to. As we've mentioned before, you are a current student at University of Chicago, an amazing institution. And you, Chicago does so many great things, but one of the really cool things that they've been able to do is really support rural and or first generation students at their institution with programs like the UChicago Empower Initiative and the Emerging Rural Leaders programs. Would you be able to talk about some of the support that you felt at UChicago as a rural first gen student and maybe even some of those programs that I mentioned, kind of your experience? Yeah, for sure. I can't speak uh, exactly on the Empower program and uh, those more specific outreach programs, but in general, I have felt supported as a rural student. In fact, I didn't even realize some of the challenges I had faced or the need I needed for a rural support group until I'd gotten on campus. When I saw that UChicago was organizing our rural support group, at first I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, what do I as a rural student need a support group for? But then I realized when I went to the first meeting just how helpful it was, knowing that there's so many people who shared so many aspects of my identity and so many challenges getting to college. It was such an immensely helpful thing for me where it's like, oh, actually, this is what it's like to be supported for once. It's not like I'm doing everything by myself. I don't have to worry about keeping track of like all the applications and everything. Like these people had to do everything I had to. And we all ended up here. And it was nice knowing that there's, if nothing else, other people like me on campus. Speaking of how colleges support students, going back to that planning piece, do you believe colleges make themselves accessible to students in rural communities? And if not, how do you think they can improve their access? Yeah, I think colleges are trying to make themselves accessible to students in rural communities, but I think there is a lot to be improved. One thing that I've mentioned in meetings at UChicago with the admin is that we really need a program so we can have like a college fair experience 
experience for rural students. Because yes, I agree that it's not necessarily efficient to fly out to my town and talk to a group of 200 students and maybe get one of them to apply that way. However, now, especially after we've gone through Zoom classrooms and virtual programming in every shape and form, I think it would be good for colleges to assemble a virtual platform or a virtual college fair. And they could reach out to high schools, emailing them, giving them letters, make this a widely publicized event, maybe throw in some incentives so students show up and then have a college fair just for them virtually. Show them, hey, this is how you apply. This is the benefits are and everything else. And, you know, maybe you only get one student from one tiny school to show up and then they learn about all the benefits of applying to a selective school or college in general. But the thing is, those students are going to be students like me. And just like me, they're going to tell all their friends. They're going to go and say, hey, I learned that if your family makes under $60,000 a year, you get a full ride to Chicago, more or less, through all these different benefits and all these different scholarships. I learned that this is how you apply and that you can apply and that this is the exact steps that you take in making your application. And these are the different financial forms I have to fill out. You know, so if you get just one student to show up to these virtual programs, then they're going to tell other people. And then those other people are going to tell their friends. And then hopefully you get this kind of chain reaction where you have people who are applying to these schools. After I applied to UChicago, I just in the class below me, I had someone who I mentored and I talked to and they got to go to Vanderbilt on a full ride. They applied to Vanderbilt University and they just got in. And then I have another friend who is in the class below them. And then he's applying to MIT. And then he has a friend who's applying to also Vanderbilt. So you have all these people now who are applying to selective out-of-state colleges and some of them are going, right? So I think if nothing else, I think virtual programming for these rural students would be really important or just some form of college fair, even if you can't have that face-to-face interaction so that you can at least discuss with them the benefits of these programs. And finally, Tommy, any tips or advice you would give to rural first-gen students who aspire to go to college? I would say I know how a lot of you feel. You feel isolated. You feel like you're helpless and no one knows what you're going through because you're the first person in your community to do what you're doing right now in a long time or maybe the first person in general but you've worked this hard and got to this point without anyone telling you what to do or how to do it and if you're in a point where you're listening to this podcast or you're looking at applying to these schools and you've been able to do that all by yourself, motivating yourself, that puts you in a pretty good place. That shows that you're really willing to put in the work to go to these colleges. And there are people there who will help you the best they can. There's a lot of programs out there who are now being targeted for rural students. There's even scholarships out there just for rural students. If you're a rural student listening to this, check out the Hagen Scholarship. The Hagen Scholarship is just for rural students who went to public high school. So you can go to these schools that you want to. In you've done it without having having someone have to push you. So if you're that motivated, I think you have a pretty good shot of going where you want to go. Well, thank you so much, Tommy, for sharing your experiences and your insight with our audience today. We really greatly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to do this interview, and we greatly value what you had to share. No, thank you. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about rural students and just how amazing they are. We conclude today's conversation on the Rural First Gen experience with a post-college graduate, Ken. Hi, Ken. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for being here. We are super excited to have you here today to share your experiences as we discuss the Rural First Gen experience. But before we get started with that topic... I would love to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with just a little bit about where I've come from. I was born in Massachusetts around the Boston area, but then raised in Western Mass around Amherst. And then from there, it was a kind of a small town of about 4,000 people, or technically speaking, a village of 4,000 people named Turner's Falls. And from there, came to Chicago for college. And I'll say kind of where my life is headed nowadays, I'm currently working in higher education administration, but I'm looking to go into research 
I majored in comparative human development at first thinking astronomy and music, but was kind of faced with the questions of how are you going to make money, which is its own story in itself. But to cut that short, I'll just mention that I'm still thinking about entertaining those interests in astronomy and music, maybe perhaps going down some public policy research routes. And then lately, the idea of policy advocacy through the arts is something that I'm particularly interested in. That's awesome. So we're here to talk about the rural first-gen experience. So again, so many different students identify as first-gen, but within that, there's so many different layers to that. And one of the layers is location and where they grew up. If you can take us back to the town that you lived in, looking back at that time, can you, in your own words, like describe your hometown and the school system that you went through? I'm so glad you're asking this because I don't know, every time I smell poop around on the streets of Chicago, just from the horse carriages or horses drawing carriages for people, I kind of think, oh, it smells like home. <laughs> people give me funny looks. But kind of just to describe the images, there are pastures around, there's cows and horses, different types of animals, there's farmland. And then there's a little bit more, I'll say like suburban areas where I won't say there are skyscrapers, but there are taller buildings, maybe anywhere between two and seven floors high we had department stores i'll say but that's kind of a multitude of or weren't in multitudes but kind of maybe we had two or three department stores in one town or in one neighboring town and i'll say everyone knows each other arguably a little bit too much about each other and people i'll say have been there for generations and do you know what industries were prominent in your hometown? What were some of the biggest job producers or, or where people ended up working within your hometown? When I think about, I feel like there's probably a lot that I don't know about, but from what I can gain, mostly customer service oriented roles, kind of manual labor oriented. People were carpenters, plumbers. They worked in factories. Uh, they were technicians. There was a trade school that a lot of my peers went to as opposed to staying in this sort of what I would say the conventional high school route where you, you go to the this high school that's linked to our middle school, but then you also have the choice of going to the tech school nearby. And a lot of kids would choice out there so that they could learn some sort of, for lack of a better word, a trade. But kind of, I'll say that I think more and more, there's probably more positions like marketing positions and things that are development oriented. But just growing up, I did not hear too much about those positions. Looking back at your experience educationally, when you lived in that town, what grade levels were you in? Third through 12th grade is when I lived there. So most of your educational career. So I'm curious, when you went off or even started planning to go off to college, did you feel like your school prepared you academically with the classes that you took and that they offered? I want to say yes. So my dad would say different. And it's more as a caveat, my brother is homeschooled now just due to respects paid to kind of aspects of my education that's I would confirm, you know, we're not the best, as well as my sister's experience. I actually transferred high schools from one to another because the music program at one was dying. And for me, music was a real integral part of just what made me happy at school. And so I'll say school choice is kind of a thing where if you live in one town but wanted to go to a school in a neighboring town, you could essentially transfer there. There's this sort of in... I'll say formal application process, but there's not much screening involved. At the very least, in my case, there wasn't. And I ended up transferring schools into this town, which happened to have a sort of more thriving theater and music program. But, you know, I, I'll say that that kind of exemplifies that you kind of have to go out of your way to make sure that you're getting what you need. Like things won't just be provided for you. Yeah, obviously you were able to get some resources, but I'm curious, do you think that for you or maybe for rural first gen in general, do you think being so, I don't want to say isolated, but being so in such a small populated area, do you think that affects students or your college exploration potential or options at all? Affects, yeah, it definitely affects it. Or rather, I would say it's definitely just a part of the situation or being in a rural sort of area and growing up in it and then kind of navigating the college search from there. That's definitely a sort of big factor in terms of, I think, 
how people's college exploration efforts look. A lot of people look near home. A lot of people, I'll say, well, actually their primary plan is to go to community college first, get a, an associate's degree, and then transfer out. I know I'm coming here, I found out that that's also common in the city, but I feel like there's maybe some behavioral differences in terms of how we think and or how we behave physically when we're comparing those who grew up in rural areas and those who grew up in urban areas. And it's interesting to kind of think that, you know, there are some similarities between our experiences, but I feel like what's bringing us to the same outcome is a little bit different. Going back to your peers, how do you think people in your community, or let's maybe start first, how did people at your high school view college? It's kind of now some of my peers at U Chicago think of a master's program as a cash drop, whereas PhDs in contrast, you know, you get funding for it. But similarly, in a slight comparison, my peers from high school back when I felt like express, I, I recall people expressing that just college is a waste of money or that college is kind of, I'll say a lot of people, some people looked towards college as something that is a prerequisite for making a good income. And then some people would give the caveat of, you don't got to go to college to make good income. And there's kind of, I'll say mixed sentiments there. It's interesting. And it's bringing me back to the thought of, or the fact that a lot of people have told me, oh, Massachusetts, you're from there? Yeah, that's a really liberal place. There's a lot of schools. And for me, I I don't really think of Massachusetts in that way. But kind of, I guess that is the case. And so there's, as a result, there's a mix of people who are looking to college and who have seen that or had college in their visions for quite a while. But and then there are people who would just say, no, that's not for me or that's actually a stupid move to go to college. You're essentially just succumbing to capitalism, maybe one would argue. Looking at your high school, do you think your high school had a college-going culture, would you say? I'd say it's in progress. There is a lot. I think that the school maybe has in the past couple of years, or maybe there isn't. I haven't really kept tabs on them. I, I feel bad about that. But from what I remember, it felt a little bit like it was up and coming. There's a lot of room for improvement, but there was, I feel like a lot of things that were just said via word of mouth or in an email that made me feel like, okay, like this isn't there yet, but it's going to be something in the future. And when I say this, I mean like, you know, some sort of resource or some sort of just support. I don't think I attended a college fair back when. And then, but I feel like I saw some sort of news about a college fair, maybe in Springfield, 45 minutes away by car. I remember maybe just thinking like the way it was advertised or the fact that it was taking place in Springfield just made it seem commercial. And I was like, I'm not going to get sucked into that sort of that commercial trap. And I probably didn't intend because of that sort of feeling. And, but, and so I feel, I don't know, I'm apt to maybe also advocate in this sense, uh, or in the spirit of paying respects to this, this history of mine, that we got to do some work in terms of grappling and or reconciling perceptions of resources, be it college fairs, college fairs is one example for maybe, you know, someone like me, would just think, you know, I'm not going to go to that because it just seems like it seems a little bit like a scam and like, you know, it's going to cost money. People are going to charge me or something maybe, which is all I'll say valid to think. And so I feel like there's got to be some work that balances kind of respecting those ideas and not just denying them saying like, no, that's unreasonable to think. But then some work on the other hand, just to say, hey, no, did you take a look at this information online here? And then so that people can just kind of think, okay, no, maybe it might be worthwhile to go out to Springfield and and visit a college fair. Yeah. And again, I think it's that idea of almost like isolation, right? Like you have to travel a certain distance to get to the nearest big opportunity. And sometimes there are so many opportunities in heavily populated areas that are right at the jump of the hat, but in rural communities, you kind of have to look more or or put in more travel or, or different things for those. And I, I love that you brought up kind of the, do I even belong here? Like, do I even go to that? Like, it's so far, like we kind of forget about that, I think, in terms of how humans want to gather and, and get information. I know that University of Chicago, though located in obviously an urban environment, has done so much 
for rural students and really connecting them to great opportunities via the Empower Chicago initiative and also the Emerging Rural Leaders. Would you be able to speak to um, either or both of those initiatives and kind of the work that University of Chicago has done specifically in these efforts? So the baseline idea kind of driving those initiatives is that I think now I think former president, or maybe he's still president, and he's about to become chancellor in just the next week or so, but Zimmer put in a in a good way. He said that these days, accessibility for students of rural backgrounds, of first-gen backgrounds, it's not just a problem of getting into college, but it's kind of what they have access to during college and what they're apt to feel comfortable with doing. And so those programs are designed to really, I won't say handhold, but just uh, provide a jungle gym sort of set. There's just a lot of different things you can grab onto to hang on from, to, to throw yourself off of. And I feel like... Sometimes when students of rural backgrounds and or first-gen backgrounds go to college, they end up in a place where they see this jungle gym or they see these monkey bars and has has a certain type of grip that's, and you got to have either the right kinds of gloves or you just got to be trained to grab onto those things. But, you know, you might be inexperienced, you might not have the right gloves, and then you're just kind of apt to watch the other people swing on the monkey bars while you're kind of wondering, you know, what do I do from here and what can I do from here? And you'll figure out something to do, but, you know, maybe it won't parallel your peers. But these things like the Emerging Rural Leaders Program, the Empower Scholars Program, we've got another, I'll say, in the Office of Career Advancement. This, due to a, a recent donation, it's just starting up this year, and we've got you know several initiatives that are set up to support rural students of rural backgrounds and students of first gen backgrounds with kind of gripping these different aspects of the jungle gym that is, I'll say, professional development in, uh, I want to say, I want to say an urban setting, but that doesn't encapsulate it. But kind of just things that are outside of what's in their hometown, they'll get to have the right gloves or just be given the right gloves that they can use to grip onto things. They'll just be given the opportunity to grab or to get used to the type of things that they need to grab on. They, they can fail all they want and they'll and they'll be, have access to such and such resources until they can grab onto these things reliably and consistently. And the things that are helping them out in this way are like internships, workshops, just I'll say opportunities to chat with people. That's a big thing. I'll say chats are totally underrated these days where, you know, you're kind of wondering, maybe you're wondering, I don't have the skills to apply for this job or for this internship. And then just one chat with someone who's maybe worked in that position, you know, you might find out half the people or more than half the people, maybe all the people who were hired into that position in the past, they never came with the qualifications, but they came because they had this good energy. They could bring a smile to work. And that for, I don't know, I'll say on a, in a team setting can make all the difference. And then you can learn all you want once you're there. It's truly incredible. All of the initiatives that you currently offer and that are, are also in progress. And I think it's such a model for how to provide support and, and especially for a demographic, a population of, of students who don't always get that that individualized support or that guidance or those opportunities specifically for them. I'm going to ask you, you know, if programs like the Rural Emerging Leaders and the Empower Scholars, those were available back when you were in high school, how would that have impacted you or your peers, do you believe, like a program like this? Some of us would have really felt like like, there's a seat reserved for us. And so this is our chance to just hop on this bandwagon, seize the opportunity. And then others might think like, similar to the, the career fair sentiments there, where maybe you have to think, are they requiring money for this? Or like, is this a cat, a scam? Am I gonna, if I apply through this program and, and get there, am I just going to be set up for failure and for embarrassment? Maybe that's a bit too abstract, but it's more, you know, am I, is this something is there a catch to this, I guess, in short? Absolutely. And what misconceptions do you think maybe rural first-gen students aspiring to go to college, what misconceptions do you think they have about college or college as an experience? You can't go to college if you don't have money. 
That's kind of one I'll say misconception. And then another would just be that, uh, you know, you can't, you shouldn't go to college if you don't know what you want to do with your life. And then Ken, to close, um, any final words of wisdom or advice that you would offer to um, first-gen students living in small and rural communities um, who might be aspiring to go to college? Um, What sort of words of wisdom would you offer them? First words that come to my mind are the words of, of a friend who just said this very casually and almost thoughtlessly before going to the Pride Parade back in 2015. And I was at this uh, nine-week camp right before coming to University of Chicago is for just acclimating to Chicago. You took classes for free. And um, he said, you do you. And then he went off to the Pride Parade and I went off to, I don't know, to see the city, maybe just hopped on the bus to explore. And for me, that's something that... It's a bit painful to do sometimes because I don't know who, I'll say during during these past few years, you know, I would tell myself, I don't know who I am. And so me doing me, what does that mean is is what I'm apt to ask myself. Uh, but then at other times it was really empowering where I was just apt to think, all right, we all, you know, walk at different speeds. Um, we all come from different places, have different sets of experiences. And, you know, perhaps what's healthy for one person means actually not being the most healthy for another person. Maybe one set of practices will work for someone and then one set of practices will work for someone else. But and then if they try uh, their, each of each other's practices, then you know, the, maybe that's just a recipe for disaster. And so uh, that's just something that's, that I've just held close to my heart. Thank you so much, Ken, for being here today to share your experience um, and your insight with our audience on this very important topic. Uh, We greatly, greatly appreciate your time here today. No, really appreciate being uh, kind of just hearing about the opportunity to speak. Thanks again to today's guests, Juan, Tommy, and Ken, for sharing their stories and experiences with our audience. And thank you for tuning in to How to College for First Gens. After listening to our distinguished guests, you can see that there are many shared but also unique experiences for rural first gens. Oftentimes, rural first generation students may struggle with believing that college is the right place for them or that they are prepared for college academically. They may also struggle with self-confidence or direction um, by growing up in a community that sometimes lacks a college-going culture. And lastly, they may also have to get creative when it comes to college planning if they choose to leave their area of the country for college. With all of that said, it is important for rural first gens to know that you are capable, you are worthy, and you will go to college if that is your goal. And there are so many resources out there to help. Thank you to our partners for this episode, the University of Chicago, and all the work that they do to support and empower rural first-generation college students. We encourage rural first-gens to check out the work they are doing via their Youth Chicago Empower and Emerging Rural Leaders programs. Those links are listed on our website with this episode. As always, you can find us online at howtocollegefirstgen.org. If you have any questions or feedback, as we want to hear what you think, what you're struggling with, and how we can help. If you prefer to reach us on social media, you can find us at How to College First Gen on Instagram and Facebook and at HTC First Gen on Twitter. Remember, you are not alone in this journey. Until next time.